So today we'll be in, um, go to 1 Samuel. We're going to start in chapter 26. We'll be in several places, I'll tell you everywhere. Uh, 1 Samuel 26. Also, you can go ahead and put a little spot in um, John chapter 3. And then I would like to, if we can, get to 1 Corinthians 16. And that's, that's the most we'll do. Hopefully we'll get that far. Um, we don't always get as far as, as I plan. Um, but that's okay. So uh, the past few weeks we've been studying not David, but the people surrounding David, the Lord's anointed. And so what we've been studying and specifically focusing on is what did this person do with the Lord's anointed? How did they respond to them? And we're seeing all sorts of different people um, and the, the way that they respond to the Lord's anointed and the way that he responds to them. And the reason we're studying that is because that's really the only question that's going to matter um, in the end is what did we do with Jesus, the Messiah? That's what the word Messiah means. It means the anointed one. Uh, the word Christ also means Messiah. So whenever you say the word Jesus Christ, make sure you know what you're saying. And I don't mean when, when you scream when you hit your thumb with a hammer. But I mean when, you, when you're declaring Jesus the Christ, Christ is not his last name. To say Christ means that you are declaring he is the anointed one. Okay, so that's what we talk about all the time. Make sure you know what we're saying. And so today we're going to look at a guy. Uh, his name is Joab, um, and he is uh, very uh, faithful to the king. Um, he is by his side um, for about 40 years. I'm going to talk about the guy's resume. The dude does some incredible things for uh, David's kingdom, um, but all that matters is at the end, okay? So don't miss that. All that matters is at the end. We're going to see how his story ends, um, and then um, it'll be a little challenging. So let me, let me pray for us, and then we'll um, get into this. And so I'm going to slow down just to pray for a second. Uh, God, thank you for today, Lord. And God, I pray um, right now, God, I pray that you would uh, you'd speak so clearly this morning that even I can't screw this up. Um, and God, I pray that, that you would allow us to hear you so clearly that even we couldn't mess this up. And so, Lord, today, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that's going to be communicated, and I pray that we would just hear the message of your gospel and, and what that means, and that there's going to be lots of other things that may be distracting, um, but I pray that we would just focus on your truth, and if anything that is said that's not from you, I pray we'd forget it. I pray we'd just forget it, and help us to focus on what's truly important here. Um, so that's, uh, that's our prayer, God. We devote this time to you. Lord, we make this time holy. That means set apart. We make this time set apart for you and to study your word. And so I pray that it would, um, we would allow your truth to, to penetrate our hearts, that we wouldn't be defensive, that we wouldn't, we wouldn't fight you. And so that's our prayer, God. Amen. Okay, so 1 Samuel chapter 26, we're going to look at this guy named Joab, the first time that he's introduced, and we're going, it's, it's pretty interesting because the first time his name is mentioned is, it's, he's not even on the scene, but we can learn a lot about the guy from um, the, the company he keeps and specifically from his family, okay? So we're going to see that Joab has two other brothers, he's also 
uh, related to King David, okay? And so don't, don't miss this. There's these three brothers, um, and they kind of have a reputation. Joab is one of those. I don't know if any of you guys have three, like, uh, three cousins that are brothers or if you're a part of three brothers, but the three brother, like, the, it, that's like the trinity of troublemaking. You know what I mean? Is, oh, here comes the three brothers. My sister's looking right at me because she knows we've got, um, I want to be fair, but we've got stories about, we've got cousins that they're the three brothers. And so uh, there's this kind of that reputation about it. And that's what we're going to learn a little bit about Joab. Look at uh, Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 26. Just start in verse 1. This is just introducing the guy, but watch what we see about him. Uh, The Ziphites went to Saul at Gibeah and said, Is not David hiding in the hill of Hakalah, which faces Jeshimon? So Saul went down to the desert of Ziph with his 3,000 chosen men of Israel to search there for David. This This is the time when David is on the run from Saul and Saul's trying to hunt him and kill him. Uh, Saul made his camp beside the road on the hill of Haklah, facing Jeshimon, but David stayed in the desert. When he saw that Saul had followed him there, he sent out scouts and learned that Saul had definitely arrived. Then David set out and went to the place where Saul had camped. He saw where Saul and Abner, hey, there's Abner, remember him, right? He saw where Saul and Abner, son of Ner, the commander of the army, had laid down. Saul was laying inside the camp with the army encamped around him. David then asked Ahimelech, the Hittite, and Abishai, son of Zariah, Joab's brother. There's Joab's, the first time he's mentioned in Scripture right there, but he's not even here. Who will go down into the camp with me to Saul? I will go with you, said Abishai. And so Abishai is one of Joab's brothers. So remember, what you're going to see here, we're going to read in just a couple verses, there's this, there, instantly we're going to see there's this tension uh, between these three brothers and between uh, David. And we're going to see the brothers are extremely practical, even to the point of being ruthless. And David, what he's going to say, is he's going to say, no, I, I have to be loyal to the Lord uh, to the Lord our God. Okay, and so look what happens here. So David and Abishai went to the army by night, and there was Saul lying asleep inside the camp with his spear stuck in the ground near his head. Abner and the soldiers were lying around him. Abishai said to David, Today God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of my spear. I won't strike him twice. So this is one of the three brothers. You can see their their heart. Extremely practical, uh, probably very, very good to have around if you need some stuff done. But David said to Abishai, don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? Okay, so this is the first time Joab is introduced, but he's not even there. But what we've already seen is he comes from a family that is 100% practical, 100% um, gets stuff done, right? That they go in the camp, and they sneak into the tent, and the, here's, here's Saul lying down, and he picks up a spear, and he says, you want me to end this thing right now? And he said, and he, I love that he even adds, I won't strike twice. Like, he has this confidence. Probably, he's, probably because I've done this a couple times. Do you want me to end this now? And David says, no. He says, he says I will not uh, who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? So you can already see this tension between Joab's family and uh, David, who actually has the heart 
of the Lord, a man after God's own heart. And so uh, Joab the man, what we're going to see is he is scattered from this point on, and I, I hope you've been reading First and Second Samuel, even getting into First Kings. You're going to start seeing these guys scattered all throughout there, and Joab is is peppered in over and over and over. And Joab is at David's side for about forty years. Okay, he's the commander of David's army. Um, when David looked at Jerusalem, this is what's going to happen to the next several pages of, of Scripture. You, I don't know if you remember the story, but David looks at Jerusalem, which was a fortified city, and David said, I want that city as my capital. And he says, I need someone to go take that. And Joab says, I'll go. And J, Joab leads these men in to conquer Jerusalem, which would then become David's capital. Okay, Now, <clears throat> so Joab was a bad dude. Hardcore. Um, some of y'all were in Israel this uh, this couple years ago uh, with me. Do you do you remember uh, walking through Hezekiah's tunnel? Do you remember we're hundreds of feet underground in solid rock, and and that there were these entrances and there were these waterways that that's how they got in to the <clears throat> to the city. Okay, this was a guy that they would go in. I mean bad dude with the with the cover of night. Maybe had a light. Uh, uh, candle maybe he didn't but if you would see the conditions that they went through you'd be like my gosh this dude here so I'm painting this picture of Joab the dude gets stuff done okay Um, again he was David's commander for about 40 years as you read the your Bible there's not a single record where it says Joab was defeated in battle not a single time okay um, he was the one, you know the story of David and Bathsheba? Everyone's at least familiar with that story? You remember when uh, David uh, gets Bathsheba uh, pregnant and then Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, is out fighting for David. And do you remember David sins and says, hey, have Uriah put on the front lines. I need him killed. Who did that? Joab. Joab was his right-hand man that when David said, Dude, I've got some shady stuff I need to, I need to get you, have, have done. I need this guy, Uriah. I need him wiped off the map. Who did he turn to? Joab. That's in the Bible. He was the one, and he said, you got it. Absolutely no problem. He's the one that went and took care of it. Um, so you can not question Joab's loyalty and courage towards the kingdom. Make sure you don't miss that point. If you looked at Joab, you'd say, that guy gets stuff done. That dude is committed to the kingdom of David, and, and he will do anything at any cost, okay? And he gets stuff accomplished. Great story, right? Okay, so he goes on for 40 years doing the work of the Lord. Now, I want you to flip, start heading right. And there's tons we're skipping over, but we're going to see the beginning and the end. Go to 1 Kings. So you'll go 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 2. And again, I I mentioned the story of Joab is very interesting, very compelling. It really preaches itself, and I'm hoping it'll be very challenging for us, because it's extremely challenging for me. Okay, 1 Kings chapter 2. <clears throat> verse 1. Uh, First Kings, it starts out with David um, at the end of his life. So this is about uh, 40 years later. David is dying, and he, uh, his son Solomon is going to become king. Many of you already know that. 
and uh, watch what David, these are his dying words. So uh, chapter 2, verse 1. When the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon, his son. So, I mean, picture this. Here's David lying in bed. Solomon's probably at, at his side, kneeling down. And these are his last words that he says to Solomon. What do you think he's going to say? Look, I am about to go the way of all the earth, he said. So be strong, show yourself a man, and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in his ways and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and requirements as written in the law of Moses, so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go, and that the Lord may keep his promise to me. If your descendants watch how they live, and if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. That's lovely, isn't it? That's, those are good words to pass on to your son. Verse 5. Now you yourself know what Joab, son of Zeriah, did to me. What he did to the two commanders of Israel's armies, Abner, son of Ner, and Amasa, son of Jether. He killed them, shedding their blood in peacetime as if in battle, and with that blood stained the belt around his waist and the sandals of his feet. Verse 6, deal with him according to your wisdom. Listen to this, but do not let his gray head go to the grave in peace. Okay, now, do you, do you see why that's, why that's strange? Here's, here's his commander who did incredible things for him. He was the guy that got stuff done, and including a couple shady things, two that he mentions. Well, he kills Abner, and he kills this guy Amasa. You can go back and read about that in First and Second Samuel. You remember Abner? We talked about him uh, last week. He was killed after David sent him home in peace, right? And he goes and kills Abner, he kills this other man, and David says on his deathbed, he says, do not let this man's head go to the grave in peace. So how, <laughs> it's always interesting to see how does the story end for him. Now, and so I hope you're a thinking person, because if you're a thinking person, you have to think, what happened? What went wrong? And, and this is what I want to point to, and then, uh, and then we're going we're gonna to move on from this. I'll try to connect the dots here. Uh, Joab, if you go back and as you study your Bible, don't just read your Bible, as you study your Bible, stop reading the Bible, start studying it. As you study the scripture, you will not see any love for the heart of David. You will not see Joab have the heart or have the mind of David. You won't. You will see a guy who gets stuff done, who is at the point ruthless in his pressing on for the kingdom, but he did not have the heart of David. And you will not find any love for David. Go and look for it. It's not in there. You'll see story after story after story where David defeats this army. I mean, sorry, Joab. Joab defeats this army. Joab does this. Joab is at David's right hand doing, accomplishing incredible things, but you will not find any love for David. And that's why even when David on his deathbed, he says, hey, Joab, he didn't have my heart. He killed these men in peacetime. He killed these men that I said, that I said were free to go, and that I said they, were go, they could go in peace. And Joab said, mm-mm, not going to happen, and he went and killed them, right? 
And so the question, um, or, or the, the dots I want to connect here, is, is Joab really kind of almost preaches itself. It's this story, it's this image that we also see in the New Testament. Okay, And again, I said this might be challenging. And we see in the New Testament that, did you know Jesus says, these are the words of Christ, Matthew chapter 7, he says, there are going to be people that come to me at the end of their life, and they're going to say, hey, Jesus, I prophesied in your name. I cast out demons in your name. I perform miraculous works in your name. And it says that Jesus is going to look at them and say, yeah, but I, I never knew you. And he says, depart from me. Again, this is challenging, right? Did you hear that resume? I prophesied in your name. I cast out demons. I perform miraculous works. For those of us that put pride in what we do, um, anyone casting out demons this week? Show of hands. For the Lord, anyone? No. Anyone prophesying? Any, no miracles? Come on, for real, guys? Right? And, and, we, and, and you can see what's happening here is that Jesus says we, we can cling to and, and try to, to have fellowship with the Lord based on what we do, but we can completely not have the heart of the Lord while doing it. And that's why Jesus says in Matthew 7, he says, I never knew you. And he said, depart from me. Right? Again, this is, uh, this is challenging. And so part of teaching something, if we've, we've, I've got some, we've got some teachers in the room, part of teaching something, if you're a good teacher, you know you have to unteach some things. And, and you have to unteach it, and then you have to keep unteaching it. Because people always go back to what they've learned incorrectly. And, and part of the gospel is we have to constantly unteach this works-based gospel. Part of the gospel is we constantly have to go back to, and even with the image of Joab, we have to say, hey, these impressive things that you're doing for Jesus, and you think that it's adding up towards something uh, cool, God looks at them and says, why are, you, why are you doing these things trying to gain what's already yours? Right? And so I want to make sure that we understand clearly uh, what, the, what the work is of God is that he requires. So are you in John? Flip forward to John chapter, uh, chapter 3. So John chapter 3, uh, we're going to start in verse 1. This is going to be a lot of the, the words of Jesus. Later on in John's gospel, someone's going to come up to Jesus and they're going to say, hey, tell us what work does God require? And Jesus says this, the work of God is this, to believe, to believe in the one who sent him. And if you'll remember, there's that word believe and belief. Remember, that word belief is always active. And that word belief means to trust in towards salvation. Okay, So the word, when I say I believe in Jesus, when we sing um, the, the, uh, that song that was the Apostles' Creed that Heather introduced, and she said, uh, I think she said, this is a song by Creed, and I want to be like, not Creed, the band. But <laughs> did, you, did you catch that too? <laughs> but it's, it was, it's modeled after the Apostles' Creed of this is what we believe, and that's what we say when we're singing those words, it's uh, this we believe. And to believe does not mean that, that it's an intellectual agreement that Jesus died on the cross and that Jesus was the son of God because even demons say that to believe is to trust in for salvation right and so look at John chapter 3 and I want to I want to make sure that we have a very clear understanding of Joab is a great example of what the gospel is not but we can see what it clearly clearly is and we'll just walk through this 
Uh, words of Jesus, chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. So look at this. He already believes that Jesus comes from God. Do you see that? Okay. For no one can perform miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Now, the, the phrase born again, that's where we get the phrase born again Christian. It's a very Baptist term, but it's a very biblical term. Okay, It's, it's this idea that we have to be reborn into Christ, and he's going to explain it. Verse 4, how can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. So Nicodemus, I don't know if he just wasn't real sharp or not. Uh, to me, I, I always read that. And it's always real easy to stand on this side of something and be like, oh, what an idiot, you know? Um, it's like how you can sit and watch a football game and watch, <laughs> watch a receiver miss a catch in super high-def slow motion while I'm sitting on my couch eating Cheetos like, why can't he just catch the ball, you know? It's always easier on this side right? But maybe when he was there, maybe there was something else going on. But anyways, neither here nor there. He says, Nicodemus says, he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Uh, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So that, uh, that, that always struck me as strange. Jesus says, hey, the wind does this and that. His point is this. Can you describe the wind? Can you explain the wind? Can you look at the wind and say, this is exactly what's going to happen? I, I know what's going to happen. The answer to that question is no. That, that he says that the wind kind of does what it, and he says this is exactly the way uh, the Holy Spirit works. He says it's, we can't explain every single thing about it. We can't, but we cannot deny it either, right? In the same way, you can't see the wind. If I look out, and, oh, there's the wind. What do I see? I see the results of the wind. I can see trees moving. I can see leaves falling on the ground. Please, God, soon, soon. Yeah, leaves falling on the ground. I can see the results, but I can't see the wind. And, and this is what Jesus is saying. It's the same thing with the Holy Spirit working in Christians, working in us, is you can't look and say, oh, there goes the Holy Spirit. You know, it's not like a shadow. Oh, I got him. Uh, like Peter Pan chasing his shadow, trying to catch the Holy Spirit. No, it's, it's you can look and say, man, I can see the results of the Holy Spirit in your life. Or, or I can see, and, and when your eyes are open to it, you can see the results of the Holy Spirit everywhere. Everywhere, all right? Uh, verse 9, how can this be, Nicodemus asked. Nicodemus asked, you are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we've seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. There's that word believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven. The Son of Man. That's one of Jesus' favorite references to Himself, the Son of Man. It's a reminder that Jesus Christ, 100% man, completely human, 
Not 50% man, not, not 100% a, a guy, a dude. Very, very interesting. Uh, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who, what's the word, believes in him, returning to himself, uh, may have eternal life. 316, you should know this one. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever, what's the word again, believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Verse 17, for God did, this is great news, we, always, we, we, we rarely read verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn, but to save the world through him. Don't, don't skip verse 17. And so this is, when Jesus talks about over and over, especially when you read the Gospel of John, it's this emphasis on belief, 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 belief. And it's not just to know, but it's saying, I trust in this for salvation. And so if, here's the, the, you may have seen this, but we got to make sure we get this right. Uh, when we say to believe in Jesus, this is what we mean. We've talked about this before, is that here's God. Okay, God's looking down. Here's, here's me, and this is what the Bible teaches over and over. And, and especially as Christians, I, I hope you guys are able to um, uh, understand this and even explain this to others, right? And it says that here, here's man that we're born sinful, that we're born into, in, into God's wrath. And it has nothing to do with what we've done. You remember Mephibosheth? We studied him several weeks ago. He was born an enemy of the king. What did he do to be an enemy of the king? He was born. It was in his blood. And it says that we were born with these things, and we are born with this weight of all of our sins on us. So I want you to picture, this is my Bible, but I want you to picture that you open this up, and it has, um, it, you can go back and read everything Russell's ever done wrong, everything Russell's ever thought, um, and, and everything Russell's going to do. Don't miss that. This is past, present, future. This is, this is everything that separates Russell from God. And it says that when Russell was born, I was born with this weight, with this resting upon me, and that this separated me from God, right? You see that? This is not a magic trick. So don't, you, you see that there's this, and so, and so God, what he does is he comes after people. He says, I want to be amongst you. I want to be with you. I want to be in you. I want to dwell with you. You, But the problem is what? There's this thing separating us. And so what God did is he says, well, we know this. This is also what the Bible teaches. The wages of this, the wages of sin is what? Death, right? The wages, that means that's what we've earned. And so the wages of this is death and destruction for eternity, right? But this is what God did. He says, I, I have the solution here. He says, I am going to come down there myself, <laughs> You know, when dad says, don't make me come in there. <laughs> this God says, I'm, I'm coming down myself. And he says, and I'm, I'm sending my son, which that sentence is difficult, but he, I'm coming down myself and I'm, I'm sending my son. And my son is going to be a man. 1,000% a man. Not kind of a man. 100% man, 100% God. And, and my son is going to live this perfect life, absolutely sinless, Right, And then it says that he is going to take this penalty. And so it says that Jesus, what did he do? When he went to the cross, what? He died and he took the penalty. So he, he, 
he died. He was separated from the Lord for, for three days, right? And then it says he defeated death by what? He rose from the grave, okay? And so the gospel is this, is that when you believe in Jesus, this is that phrase, believe in Jesus. Don't miss this right here. What happens is you look at Christ and you say, I know he's the perfect God-man. He's the only God-man. And to believe in Christ says, this is what I'm doing, is I am taking all, everything I've done and I'm doing this right there. And I'm placing it on Jesus Christ. And then here I am. And what Christ does is because of his life that he lived, because of the death that he died, is he takes these things and he sets them, he says, I paid for those. And so now, this is us here in Christ, and now we can be united with the Lord. Do you see that? That's the gospel as clearly as we can say. And this is what Jesus says, when God so loved the world, he sent his son that whosoever believes in him, that you, that you say, hey, I believe that Jesus is the Christ. I am trusting in him for my salvation. That if you believe in Jesus, he, he said, I've paid for all that, and you can now be united with Christ. That's what it means to be in Christ, is this right here. And so when God looks at Russell, it's not, oh, there's Russell and Jesus walking alongside him. It's that, no, he, when he looks at Russell, he sees Jesus Christ. This is why, start looking through uh, your New Testament, Paul in the New Testament doesn't call believers Christians, not one time. He says over and over and over, he says you're in Christ, right? Um, and this is a one-time deal. Bloop, it's done. That's why you will also, if you study your New Testament, you will not see a single time where the New Testament says to Christians, you need to confess and ask for forgiveness. It's not there, not a single time written to Christians. Why is that? Well, because this happened, because we're forgiven, because this transfer was made one time for all time, right? And so that's the gospel as clearly as we can put it. And I, I need to confess something to you, is that, um, and I, I don't know, you, you may learn a lot about me right here, is I, all this week, I've you know, been thinking about Joab, and I've been thinking about that, the thing with, with the gospel, and I've been thinking about, is, well, <laughs> don't think less of me. Honestly, I've been thinking, is this good enough? Right? I, I've been thinking, is, I've got I've to have something cooler than that. I, I've been thinking, man, like in, in this super church culture, is, and I, and I hope you I hope you know my heart enough that you don't condemn me. Is, is this gospel, is this right here, and then being united with Christ? This has been my struggle all week. Is that enough? Like, is this enough? Like, and, and even in my head, I've been thinking, I need to have a cool illustration. I need to, maybe I do need to do a magic trick. Maybe, and, and, and this has been so challenging for me to really think, is, is the gospel enough? Or are we, especially with this church plant, we're what, five weeks in, six weeks in? And, and this is a, I'm having a conversation with y'all right now. I'm not preaching. Guys, is the gospel going to be enough for us? Absolutely. Yes. It's not that complicated, but one of my spiritual gifts is complicating things. 
And, and, and so I just want to, I always want to be as upfront as I can, is that I have this, and I think you may have it too, is this, this thing in me, and I think it's Satan speaking to me and the world speaking to me that whispers it can't be that simple. And, it, and it, that cannot be enough. Is that really going to sustain you? And this is why even, uh, even Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he says, hey, when I came to you guys, he said, I, I didn't claim to know much. He says, this is what I knew. Jesus Christ and him crucified, right? And so I want, I want to make sure that, and this is an ongoing conversation, that we can be people that when we understand the gospel, that we have confidence in this, that we understand what it means, that, it's, that, it, that we understand our identity, that we understand that's where we get our affirmation, that, that we walk in confidence of the gospel, is that going to change our lives? Is it? Because I believe, I believe it should. I really do. Because even in our mission statement, we want to make disciples of Jesus Christ and what? We want to set captives free. I do not care about getting a bunch of people in this room about having a bunch of people attend a church and and i'm i'm praying that we have the confidence in the gospel that that it would change our lives right that we would see people who have uh, uh, addictions of all sorts we always pick on the druggies and the 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 alcoholics but addictions of all sorts even the socially acceptable ones that, that we, over time, we could say, man, this dude's life is changed. It's not that, hey, this is, oh, we have, a, we have a great worship service, and Russell's kind of funny sometimes, but we're always out by 11.15, so you can get to lunch early, right? But that, that, that this community would be about, man, like, like even where Jesus says, the wind blows, we don't know what's happening, that even we could say, dude, we don't know what's happening, but lives are being changed, and I mean that. And so this is a personal challenge. Please accept this. Please reflect on this. God, please let the gospel be enough that when we have confidence in the gospel, that it changes um, everything. Um, that as, uh, golly, there's so, many, there's so many things we could talk about. That when we have confidence in the gospel and who we are, that as men, that we would love one another enough to have difficult conversations, right? That as, that as men we would be humble enough to even go to another guy and say, dude, I, I don't have a lot of friends, and I want to take my spiritual growth real serious. Can you walk alongside life in, with me, right? Um, that as men, that we, would, um, that we would trust God's guidance just one day at a time, and you ladies as well. I can't speak for the ladies, but um, that we would be a place that we would say, because there's always this tension of, you know, people visiting churches, and th this is such a weird, difficult place to do church, because you can, it's like a salad bar, it really is. You can go along and pick and choose, like, oh, I want this, I want that. You know, does the preacher wear a suit and tie? No, okay, I'm out. Does he wear jeans? Yeah. Do they have holes in the knees? Uh, yes. Okay, we're out. We're not that far weird, right? Uh, what, what version of the Bible does your guy preach from? Okay, good. How long is his sermon? Okay, good. Uh, music, contemporary? Okay. One guitar or two? Two guitars? Is one of them an electric? Yeah. Well, is it a Strat or is it a Les Paul? Like, 
Okay, good. Les Paul, no, Strat, that's okay, that's classy. But it, I, and we're laughing because it's true. You know that's why you're laughing, and it kind of hurts. Is that in a, this is the salad bar Christianity when it comes to churches. We, just, we can go along and find and pick and choose. And you can go to any church, and if you haven't found something you don't like, you just haven't stayed long enough. <laughs> you just haven't, right? And that there will always be, at least for me, there will always be this, this tension of we've got to make this thing cool and entertaining, and, and that, that goes against the idea that, man, is the gospel really enough? Will that set people free? I mean, and then that they learn to walk in freedom. Not that we walk in arrogance, but that we walk in freedom, and we walk in dependency on one another, and dependency on the church, and dependency on Christ. Very challenging. And so, um, man, that's... Uh, Let's, let's, let's end Joab real quick, much like David did. Get it? See what I did? For, go back to 1 Kings chapter 2. First Kings chapter two. Uh, go to verse twenty-eight. We'll see how Joab ends his life, and it's it's it can be very reflective for us. And then, um, and then we'll get out of here early so you guys can get to lunch because that's one of our core values. Is, I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. All right, chapter two. I like I I undo so much of what I say. Chapter two, uh, verse twenty-eight. Uh, when the news reached Joab, what news? That David says, dude, I want this guy killed. When the news reached Joab, look what he did. Very suddenly, as a change of heart, who had conspired with Adonijah, uh, though not with Absalom, he, Joab, fled to the tent of the Lord and took hold of the horns of the altar. So when the news reached Joab, he ran to the tabernacle and clung to the religious system, literally, <laughs> literally grabbed a hold of the altar, clinging to religion. King Solomon was told that Joab had fled to the tent of the Lord and was beside the altar. Then Solomon, who's now king, uh, ordered Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, go strike him down. So Benaiah entered the tent of the Lord and said to Joab, the king says, come out. But he answered, no, I will die here. Uh, Benaiah reported to the king, this is how Joab answered me. Then the king commanded Benaiah, do as he says, strike him down and bury him. And so clear me and my father's house of the guilt of the innocent blood that Joab shed. So this is how he ends his life. He ends his life running to and clinging to religion. Do you see that? He ran to and clung to the religious system, hoping for mercy, by the way. And um, Solomon said, nah, this, it's, this, you had your chance. This time's over, right? And again, today, I said, might be very challenging. Um, there's a time when it's too late, you know? Um, and again, I'm not, I'm never one to manipulate or try to, uh, try to guilt trip you into trusting Jesus. But guys, remember, there's, there's a time when it's too late. And as a church, I pray that we can have a sense of urgency, Right? Not, not frantic, but as a church that, that, we, that there is a sense of urgency about, and again, I hope you know my heart when I say this, people are going to hell. I mean that. 
and, and there are people, when they go home, they're going home to a living hell. And again, I'm not trying to manipulate you, but that's so many people's lives. Their house, their home life is a wreck. It is a wreck. And they're going home to a living hell. And as a church, we have the mission of reconciliation. And man, just, just pray with me that we would have a sense of urgency about us, right? That we wouldn't just dismiss the Holy Spirit speaking in our lives. You know, you know that, that feeling that you're like, man, I know so-and-so is going through a hard time. I feel like I should call them, but now is not a good time. Well, no, but now, now I'll have to do it later. I, I don't want to check in because I don't want to seem like I'm being invasive. And, or, or I know that this person's marriage is in trouble. I, I don't want to be nosy. You, do you know that feeling, that, that thing in the back of your head saying, hey, do, that's the Holy Spirit. <laughs> that's That's Him. Right, and that we would be people that we understand again a sense of urgency that we'd say, I'm just I'm going to call this person and check on them, tell them I love them, and we'd have the courage um, that we know the gospel that that we're not afraid to, right? Um, anyways, so Joab ends the the day is coming when the, when it's too late that some people are going to stand before the Lord, and they're going to say, Hey, I did these great things, I cast out demons, blah blah blah, and and Jesus is going to look at them and say. Man, I never knew you. It's, 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 it's too late, my friend, right? And so, <clears throat> man, that was a depressing ending there. Um, but can we, can we commit to as a church? I'm, I mean it, and I've been thinking about this all week. I'll just say maybe two things. Is, is the gospel truly enough in our lives? And that it impacts everything, that it affects everything, that it's not, yay, Jesus, gospel, close my Bible, and then we'll do it again next Sunday. But I mean, as we walk through life, as we walk by faith that we recognize, dude, this changes everything. When I'm not looking to other people to meet my needs, when, when, I, when I walk with humility, when, when, I am, when I have the mission of reconciliation, that's what the church does, right? And, and that, that, I can, that I can walk straight into a fire, that everyone else on earth is avoiding because I know him, where my identity is. And I can walk in like Rack Shack and Benny when they walked into that fiery furnace that the world looks and they says, oh, they're going to get burned alive. And that they look and say, wow, they didn't, they didn't even get touched. And, and I mean in like relationships. Those relationships that it is just a bonfire waiting to just that as believers we could just armed with the gospel that we could walk straight into that and say, hey, Let's get this worked out, right? Um, so, so pray for that, and then just pray for what does it look like for us to have a sense of, of healthy urgency, you know? Um, I, I do not want to stand before the Lord one day and say, ah, I just never had time. Couldn't do it, you know? And the, the difference of a four-minute phone call, unbelievable. The difference of a lunch with someone, the difference of um, just... Giving, writing someone a $100 check, saying, hey, I know things are rough right now. Just, just accept this, please. All right. um, and so we could see lives changed. We could see lives changed. So um, that's, that's my prayer. Let me pray for us. <clears throat> and then we'll get out of here by 11.15. Sorry, I, am, I need to stop when I need to stop. <clears throat> Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this church, God. And Lord, I pray. Here, here's the thing is I, in my head, 
I believe the gospel is enough. I do. But God, I struggle. I sh- I'm just talking about myself, Lord. I struggle to really believe, believe it. Like I struggle. And so God, I pray that you would give me, that you would give us the faith to know who we are and to know the truth and to know what it means to be united in Christ. <clears throat> and that we would stop trying to do impressive things for Jesus um, but that we would just be people armed with the truth and that we would just love others. That's, that's what we'd be known for, is our love for others. That's what the church is supposed to be known for. And that when people say, hey, tell me about that church, that we'd say, ah, the music's good, the, the preaching's okay, the, the facilities are right. But man, these people love each other. And there, there are incredible things happening. It's un. Believable. I don't even believe it myself, but it's happening. And so, God, I, that's, that's my prayer. That's our prayer for your church, for your church, not ours, for your church, and that we would just say yes, that we would have enough faith to just say yes. Um, that's our prayer. Amen.